Welcome back to the Aging Project Podcast. I'm your host, Shelley Craft, and together, my friends, we're on a mission to age well, bloody well, if I'm being honest. Let's be real, though. We all need guidance when it comes to aging well, and that's why we've gathered the best possible support team for us. No topic is off limits, and I promise to ask all the right questions, your questions. Before we dive in, don't forget to join our growing community of women from around the world. Sign up at theagingproject.com.au and become part of the Aging Project community. You'll gain access to our treasure trove of podcast episodes, our free five-day morning challenge, and did you know we now have an online store called You Must Try It? It includes products we've discovered from our podcast guests and community. Think low-tox skincare, low-tox makeup, supplements, and more. You'll only find products we've tried, tested, and we love at youmusttryit.com. Are you ready to begin today's episode? All righty, let's do it. From the second your mother gives you baby food, which is full of synthetic muck, some studies came out yesterday showing that, you start to build up little bits of fat in the wall of your arteries. And over decades, just like a donut with a hole in the middle like that, the fat builds up in the wall. And this this happens over many, many, many years, but doesn't tend to present until people get beyond 50, typically beyond 60. And so that's called atherosclerosis, the commonest cause of death in the world for men and women. Today, you'll meet Dr. Ross Walker, a preventative cardiologist here in Australia with over 40 years' experience. We're speaking to Ross after learning heart disease is the leading cause of death for women globally, as well as here in Australia. As someone with a family history of heart disease and because of the link between perimenopause, menopause and heart-related symptoms, we thought this was a really important topic to shine a light on. So let's start at the very beginning. I've I've heard that heart disease is actually the leading cause of death for women globally, uh, the number one killer of women here in Australia, and that's something that shocks me. I I really had no idea of those statistics. Oh, no, and that's that's been known for a long time, but unfortunately there's been this focus and this misconception that men are the one who get heart disease. Women get just as much heart disease as men. They just tend to get it, not always, but tend to get it around 10 years later because typically women are protected by their hormones until menopause, but that's not always the case. Right. So what are we talking? We're talking heart attacks. We're talking strokes. We're talking Mm -hmm. just plain old cardiovascular disease. What are those three conditions or, or more that we should be looking out for? Right. Well, the heart's really got five components and the, the major component that causes disease are blockages in the arteries. So there's this process called atherosclerosis, which occurs in everybody. So it, it, from the second your mother gives you baby food, which is full of synthetic muck, some studies came out yesterday showing that, you start to build up little bits of fat in the wall of your arteries. And over decades, just like a donut with a hole in the middle like that, the fat builds up in the wall and this, this happens over many, many, many years, but doesn't tend to present until people get beyond 50, typically beyond 60. And so that's called atherosclerosis, the commonest cause of death in the world for men and women. But also you can have problems in the muscle. That's called cardiomyopathy. So we, everyone knows of the, the case of Fiona Coote, who's had two heart transplants because she had a severe cardiomyopathy where the heart muscle was attacked by a virus and it wasn't pumping properly. But you can also have problems with the heart valves. And and valvular heart disease is almost like the poorer cousin to all the other heart diseases. People don't talk about it a lot, but it's something that's very important. Many people have heard of a condition called atrial fibrillation, very, very common as women get older, but very common in men as well. And in my own practice as a preventative cardiologist, I'd probably see four or five patients a day with atrial fibrillation, which is an electrical problem in the heart. So the the top chamber of the heart goes into a chaotic rhythm and the bottom chamber uh, bounces all over the place. And that's a cause of one third of stroke. And a lot of people don't realise that. They think stroke's all a brain disease, but atrial fibrillation throws clots off to the brain and you have a stroke. So one in three cases due to atrial fibrillation. And then finally, the covering of the heart's called the pericardium. And that's got a bit of press lately because of people getting COVID, 
uh, some some issues with the RNA vaccines, and that inflames the covering of the heart. So there's a lot of different heart diseases that people get. So it's not just about heart attack. Mm-hmm. And women, interestingly, tend to have, present differently to men with their heart disease. And I remember when I started cardiology, there was almost this patronising tone of the senior cardiologist arts or a neurotic woman with chest pain, but but it was, it's a, which is absolute rubbish because what happens is that women tend to have smaller arteries than men and there's often a washdown effect into what we call the microcirculation. So I talk about the big pipes coming out of Warragamba Dam are the coronary arteries or the carotid arteries going up to the brain. You've got the smaller pipes, which are the feeder arteries, then the small pipes in your house and the tap. That's the microcirculation. So it doesn't matter what's going on in the bigger pipes. If you've got a problem in the microcirculation, you're not getting blood to the organs, the brain, the heart, whatever. It's pretty simple when you lay it out like that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and that's how it all works. So it's fascinating. So it's just like plumbing. My my mum had a stroke probably 15 years ago, I guess, and has now been diagnosed with a a fluttery heart, which I guess is that um, fibrillation that you were talking about. Never related the two to each other as, of course, a stroke, as as we think, is something happening in the brain and not in the heart. Yeah, but, but also with that, with the atrial fibrillation, you don't have to have the fibrillation at the time because what happens when your heart goes into fibrillation and a third of people who get fibrillation don't even know they've got it. So your heart can fibrillate on and off without you even knowing it and then a clot can form after the fibrillation stopped because the heart just doesn't go back to pumping properly. You blow up a balloon, it never goes back to its original size. Your heart goes into fibrillation where it's just quivering. It never really goes back to initial pumping so clots can still form after you stop fibrillating and that's why one in three cases cause a stroke. I love the fact, Dr. Ross, you don't pull any punches. And I've heard you say that the human body, we, we weren't really designed to live beyond 30. That's kind of where we're at our peak, we're at our physical greatness, or and 40, then it's all downhill 40. from there. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. And, and really, um, anyone over the age of 40 has reached their use-by date, which is a pretty depressing <laughs> thing. But but the, the, point, the point is then, when we hit 50 and the hormones go south, everything goes south. I say for all us men, everything stiffens up apart from the bit you want to. And that's, that's, that's what happens. Your heart gets stiffer, the arteries get stiffer, the joints get stiffer. But there's so many things you can do to prevent that. And I think interestingly with, with COVID happening, and that's really medically all people have been speaking about for the last few years, COVID's just tipped many people who are leading an unhealthy lifestyle just over mm-hmm. the edge. And, and you see, COVID loves the very old, the very, very sick with other conditions, the very overweight. They're the people who really were copying it from COVID. But here's the thing. What I talk about all the time and on my radio shows and in, in these sort of forums is the five keys of being healthy. And this, this helps you age better. This reduces all diseases. And if everyone practiced the five keys of being healthy, I'd be twiddling my thumbs all day. And tragically, less than 10% of people do. So what are they? Number one, you cannot be, and this is from the least important to the most important, by the way. Number one, you cannot be healthy and smoke, drink too much grog or snort cocaine. So anyone who has an addiction to anything is sick. I don't care if you're a 25-year-old marathon runner. If you smoke cigarettes, you are ill and you will stay ill until you stop. Number two, which we're talking more about these days, is good quality Mm -hmm. sleep. Seven to eight hours of good quality sleep per night is as good for your body as not smoking. Number three is nutrition. So the third best drug on the planet is nutrition, and that's really easy to talk about, a lot harder Mm -hmm. to do. It's called eat less food, eat more natural food. Forget about all this nonsense about keto or paleo or low-fat, high-fat. It's all rubbish. What it is is sensible eating. All of us need to have two or three pieces of fruit per day three to five servings of vegetables per day. Less than 10% of people do it, and those who do have the lowest rates of heart disease and cancer in the community, and it doesn't do zip to your cholesterol. So everyone says, oh, cholesterol, cholesterol. That's not the issue. The issue is how does eating affect our immune system and the rest of our body, our gut microbiome, which is vitally important in in, in how we stay healthy. So nutrition is vital, and and avoid processed packaged muck masquerading as food because it isn't food and this is what's killing people the ultra processed foods and what i call white death which is sugar white bread pasta potatoes to a lesser extent rice just goes straight to the gut and it's that belly fat that's really causing many cardiovascular issues number four second best drug on the planet 
three to five hours every week of moderate exertion. And the best form of exercise is not walking. The best form of exercise is one you'll keep doing. It may be walking. It may be swimming or cycling or tennis. Or, I don't care as long as people have an exercise habit. And the problem is less than 25% of people do have three to five hours a week of exercise. And if you have that exercise habit, you reduce your risk, and wait for this, by 30% heart disease, cancer, Alzheimer's, diabetes, depression, 50% reduction in osteoporosis. You drop your blood pressure, you sleep better. There is no pharmaceutical preparation known to man that comes anywhere near exercise. And there's just one, one drug better than exercise. And it's a thing called happiness. And the happier you are, the more you get on with the people around you, the longer you live. An 80-year trial out of, out of uh, Harvard University called the Grant Study showed that the one key to health and happiness is to have someone else in your life who loves and cares for you, who you love and care for. So nurturing your relationships is so much more important than your blood pressure or your cholesterol or anything else. Those five keys have been shown in a major study called the Morgan Trial out of Holland to reduce your risk for cardiovascular disease by 83%. Oh. Taking a drug to lower your cholesterol reduces your risk about 20 to 30%. Wow. So, so we're talking powerful techniques that less than 10% of the population avail themselves of and they're completely yep. free. Yep, and it's all down to you. You know I'm passionate about prevention and testing. That's why I have to share my recent discovery with you, Mermaid Beach Radiology. This company is dedicated to preventative healthcare, understanding the importance of early detection. They specialize in whole body MRIs using their state-of-the-art 3T platform. Now this advanced technology offers greater sensitivity in detecting and catching potential issues before they become serious. Mermaid Beach Radiology provides the most accurate detection available. Their 3T whole body MRI gives you peace of mind, empowering you to take control of your health and make informed decisions about your well-being. Remember, prevention is the key to living your best life as you age. Mermaid Beach Radiology is your partner in proactive healthcare and ageing well. Visit mermaidbeachradiology.com.au to learn more and take the first step towards a healthier future. This isn't an average conversation with a cardiologist, is it? I, I would have assumed no. that it's always about the medication or, as you say, the blood pressure results or take this pill or have that pill. As an integrative cardiologist, how did you marry yeah. the two together? Because what you're saying makes perfect sense. It's, it's a simple solution, but it's not what we're used to hearing yeah. from your profession. Well, I'll tell you how it started. When I was in my training in my 20s, I'd go down to the post-bypass ward to see some, some of my patients who'd had their operation, and you'd see significantly obese people there fronting up for their second mutilating operation on their chest, bypass surgery twice, and they hadn't lost a scrap of weight, or people still smoking after their second bypass. And, and you'd say, there's something wrong mm. here, because the way I've been practicing medicine, I've been a doctor for over 40 years. The way I practice medicine is I find out the cause of the problem, I treat the cause, and then it doesn't come back. And you can reverse heart disease. So as an integrative cardiologist, I take the best bits of orthodox medicine. I'm not at all against orthodox medicine. I send people for bypass, for stenting. I give people medications. But this is where I break it down. I, and, I say, and I have these conversations with my patients every day. So the lifestyle conversation I just had with you, Shelley, I have with the patients all the time. I say, look, 80% of your management is up to you. It's got nothing to do with me. 10% are the medical therapies I can offer you and 10% 10 are the high quality evidence-based supplements, which most of my colleagues don't even agree with. So, but the patients, and I've, as I said, the 40 years of practicing medicine, the patients I see who do that just become long-term mates of mine. Nothing ever happens to them. I see them every couple of years. They all do well. And I can't tell you one person in 40 years of practicing medicine who followed my advice to that extent who ever had another problem. So the best treatment of heart disease, cancer, Alzheimer's, all conditions is not to get them in the first place. It's called prevention and it is possible for all of us. So you don't want any repeat business. <laughs> my doors are closed. <laughs> no, well, 
Yeah, the the only repeat business I want are the people who are coming just to make sure everything's going well and I can reassure them and, and say to them, okay, you're now 65, I can only offer you another 35 years. I like to give everyone the goal of 100. That sounds great. Considering least. we were supposed to run out at about 30 or 40. Um, 40. We are supposed to be yeah, caught by a wild animal watch. and that would have been the end of us in the wild, wouldn't it? But That's it. This is it. That's they it. can live to 100 and we can live successfully to 100 now. It's all oh, in yeah. the mind. It's Ab- all in absolutely. your own power. I, I tell, yeah, can, I, can I tell you a story? And this, this is an anecdote. This is not a clinical trial. But one of my best friends who's a, a Jesuit priest, and I'm not even Catholic, but he taught my boys at, at, at a, a private school and he was a wonderful man. I met him 28 years ago. His father died at 48 of a heart attack. His brother died at 48 of a heart attack. Both father and brother had a thing in their bloodstream called lipoprotein little a, which is the cause of one in five cases of heart disease, men and women. That's not a sex-specific thing. And this this same fellow, the Jesuit priest, has lipoprotein little a in his bloodstream. I did a test called a coronary calcium score, which takes a snapshot of the arteries that all men at 50 should have or women at 60 should have. And he had already significant coronary calcification when I first introduced this test into Australia about 24 years ago. And the other day, because he's been following all of my advice and taking all the therapy I've given, taking all the supplements, the other day we celebrated his 90th birthday. I, I take him out for lunch once a month. He, he gets out of the car, waltzes into the into the uh, restaurant. We have lunch, back into the car. There's no AIDS. He's not frail. He's mentally sharp. He's never had a vascular event at all. That's because he's followed my advice, despite the fact that he has lousy genes that, that took away his brother and his, mm-hmm. his father. So in that case, I mean, obviously, his heart disease hereditary. If you know you've got it in your system, should you be doing the CCS test earlier and let's talk a little bit about about that and about the test yeah okay can i make the point to you shelly that all disease not just heart disease cancer alzheimer's osteoporosis diabetes it's all genetic our you, you mentioned the saber-toothed tiger ripping our head off as hunter gatherers our reaction to infection and trauma is all genetic but our genes loads the gun then your environment pulls the trigger and so the first part of a preventative strategy is to find out where you are right now. So for a young woman like you, it probably doesn't matter. But if you said to me, look, my mum had a heart attack at 50, I'd, even if you're only 40 and you're probably nowhere near that yet, but but if you were 40 years old, I, I, I'd get a coronary calcium score done on you at 40 because your mother had a heart attack at 50. I've got a, a 32-year-old woman whose father died at 31 from a condition called familial hypercholesterolemia, where the cholesterols run well above seven, and this this woman's cholesterol is twelve point four. So because of her father's death, I did a coronary calcium score on her. So, so it's just a, a CT scan, no dye, mm-hmm. no injections, snapshot of your arteries, and she oh. already had a coronary calcium score of forty eight. Now anything below a hundred is mild, but for a thirty two year old woman, woman. Mm-hmm. 99% of 32-year-old women have zero scores. So you don't do coronary calcium scores on them. That's why I said women at 60 typically. So she, she, I'm hammering her with a statin because her cholesterol is so high and she's going to die from her coronary disease if I don't do anything about it. So firstly, always find out where you are now. Have mm-hmm. the coronary calcium score. I think everyone should have a lipoprotein little A test because one in five people have it. So when you hear about somebody who is very fit, did all the right things mm-hmm. and um, and then dropped dead at 50 of heart disease, they typically have a high lipoprotein delay. We heard about the, the well-publicised death of Warney and of mm-hmm. uh, Kimberly Kitching. And I suspect, I mean, I, I'm not sure whether they had the test because I didn't look after either of them, but I'm sure they probably had lipoprotein delays in their bloodstream and they just were never addressed. And the medical professions only started to show any interest about lipoprotein delay in the last couple of years. Have a guess why? Because we now have a treatment that you mm-hmm. can have this injection every month or every six months to lower oh, lipoprotein. No. Now, I've been measuring it in my patients for 25 years, and I've been treating it with natural supplements and some other older-style medications with very good success. When these new treatments become available, they're not available yet, but they will over the next few years, I'll use those as well. So find out where you are, number one. Number two, I've already mentioned lifestyle. That's 80%. Number three, the appropriate use of drugs if you need them. And, and can I say, 
that many people are being overtreated with medication. So, for example, a 50-year-old woman goes into a doctor, her cholesterol is 7, her HDL, the so-called good cholesterol, actually isn't, but it just works for this discussion. Her HDL is 2.5, her triglycerides and other fatty components are low. That's a healthy profile. But the doctor goes, oh, your cholesterol's too high. Take this pill. And, and they're prescribed statins. Now, I'm not against statins at all if your calcium score is above 100 or if you've already got heart disease, but a person I've just described doesn't need to be on a cholesterol pill. The first thing they do at 50, go off and have a calcium score. If you've got nothing in your arteries, ignore your cholesterol. Keep living a healthy lifestyle. The healthy lifestyle is there for all of us. For a young woman like you, for an older person like me, we all should be living a healthy lifestyle. Uh, but that, that's the foundation of everyone's treatment, and then you build on that based on your assessment of risk. Well, you've pretty much summed me up as the perfect candidate for heart disease. My dad has a stent. He's now 77, but um, his his father died of, of heart disease. His mother died mm. of heart disease. My mum's had a stroke. Like, it, it's rampant in my family. So oh, I need well. to be taking myself off to the GP for a CCS test, my liposomal little a, no, no, no. I think you should be coming to see me and I'll sort it out for you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much for the offer. It's just one of those things. It's knowledge, isn't it? And it's really understanding your own journey and your own body in, in the process as well. Um, some things, if you think, as you say, I'm fit, I'm young, I'm healthy, I should be fine, but the genetics does come into play and then oh, we absolutely. can manage it from there. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, it disturbs me when I hear your case because you've got such a strong family history. But again, I have families where there are five siblings, for example. Three have vicious heart disease, men or women, it doesn't matter. Three have vicious heart disease, two don't. And the reason is we're all a coin toss of genetics. And so, you, for example, we have 26,000 genes in our body. And in each of those genes, obviously, this is genetics 101. You get one copy from mum, one copy from dad. Every gene's paired. So with each gene, there's either two good ones, a good and a bad one, or two bad ones. That's all you got. So that coin toss. And, and again, for cardiovascular disease, there are about 300 different genes that can contribute to fat building up in the wall of your arteries, blood pressure, how your immune system works. There's so many different variations on it. So if you've got 200 out of 300 bad genes, then you'll get early heart disease unless you do something about it. So I can, I can in almost all cases, prevent people going on to having heart problems if I get them early enough. If you're enjoying today's episode, then here's a quick reminder to join the Aging Project community. Simply go to theagingproject.com.au to sign up and you'll gain access to our treasure trove of podcast episodes and our fabulous and free five-day morning challenge hosted by me. For us, Aging Well is a practice of making great decisions every single day which is easier said than done. So let's begin by kickstarting our mornings together. I can't wait to see you transform your morning routine and support others in our community to do the same. By joining us, you'll also get updates on the latest episodes and gain access to our youmusttryit.com store. So please join us at theagingproject.com.au. Thanks for listening. Now, back to our chat. It must be incredibly frustrating for you as an expert um, mm. to have all this information that is readily available, that is very, mm. very obvious, and yet heart disease is costing this country billions of dollars a year. Why, why is this not changing and why aren't we listening? Well, I, I've got to say to you, and I don't wish to sound nasty to anybody, but homo sapiens as a species are a sorry lot. So if I line up 100 people and I, I give them all the same program for their heart health. After 12 months, 50% of people have stopped. And people would prefer to swallow a pill than to, uh, to put the effort in. So I'll give you a great example. About 10 years ago, I was on the Catalyst program talking about the benefits of transcendental meditation. I've been meditating every day for the last 30 years, and I couldn't imagine a day without meditation. And I think it's a really important thing for your health. People who are regular meditators... 50% reduction in heart disease and cancer just by doing that. So they had a fellow on in the Catalyst. They always have the protagonist and the antagonist. So I was on with a, a fellow called Tim Carr, who's a fellow meditator and another doctor, and we were talking about all the health benefits of meditation. And so that the, pro, the, the uh, antagonist was a fellow who's the head of the Australian Skeptics Association, also a doctor, and he said, why would you waste a half an hour a day meditating when you can swallow a blood pressure pill in five seconds? <sighs> oh. 
Now, you, you, so, I've got to so, watch this episode. I've got, I've got to go I'm, back and find this episode. So can, can, can you imagine making such a stupid comment as that? I mean, it just, just, but that's the whole point about anything. People would much prefer to take the quick fix. So I'll give you another example. These statin drugs that I've already mentioned, there are many people who are carrying far too much weight, whose cholesterol's through the roof, who've got high coronary calcium scores, and they think, oh, I'm going out for dinner tonight, I'll just double my dose of statin. Now, that is biologic nonsense because it's suggesting that just lowering a, a number in your bloodstream with a pill is the key to good health. The key to good health are those five keys to good health that I spoke about before. That's where the power is, not swallowing a damn pill. The pill is 10% of your management. It's not a huge component of it. So they're the sort of things that drive me nuts. It is very frustrating. But I look again, the Walker rule number two of medicine is the patient's the one with the disease. It's not my problem. So mm-hmm. I give the advice and I've got, I've got two groups of patients in my practice, those who follow my advice and those who don't. The ones who follow my advice, as I said, just become long-term mates of mine. The ones who don't follow my advice whittle away bits of their heart to their premature death. It's their decision, not mine. And life isn't about so, someone listening to this wonderful podcast and at the end of it saying, oh, gee, I've got to be healthy for now. No, no, no. That's not what it's about. What it's about is making 30, 40, 50 small decisions every day of your life that takes you either towards good health or bad health. And here's the problem. Set of stairs, set of escalators. 95% of people go up the escalators. When you walk up the top of the stairs, you don't look down and go, wow, great, I just lost a kilo. But if you did that every day for six months and avoided the escalators, that's when it starts to get the benefits. So that's the problem with preventative health. It's a hard sell because human beings love the quick fix. Because we've got to do the work ourselves. Yes. Yeah, and it's just hard work. And, and um, look, I, I played uh, sport up to the age of 52, completely destroyed my right knee, which is which has now been replaced. But since then, and I'm not saying aren't I wonderful, I've just disciplined myself to do it, I've broken three exercise bikes from overuse. And I, I sit on my exercise bike for a half an hour every day because exercise is the second best drug on the planet after happiness. Second to happiness. Happiness, yep. What yep. a lovely drug that is for all of us. I saw this wonderful clip and it did pop up on one of the socials the other day. Um, so Ian McClellan was saying, isn't it wonderful in Cornwall how even the taxi drivers call people love? And yeah. you can hop in the back as a, as a 60-year-old man and he'll go, g'day, love, where would you like to go? Or probably not g'day, yeah. hello, love, where would yeah. you like to go? And he said, imagine if everyone just called each other love. Hello, oh, but love. these days the, the woke, politically correct people say you can't do that, it's patronising. But, I mean, you know, we, we've well, got to get patronise me away. I would love oh, to be yeah. called love and it yeah. just makes you smile. And even no. if that is the one little bit of happiness that you get in the day from a cabbie, I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. And I think and that, that, that to me is the important thing. I think life is really about loving the people in your life who are really important and being courteous to everyone else. And I, and I, and I, I think 90% of the world's population are wonderful people. It's just the 10% of wackos who ruin it for the rest of us, but you just ignore them. But chances are the 90% of the good ones are still a little bit lazy and a little bit hesitant to do the work every yep. single day. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. But it's, it's just, look, 100 years ago, a guy called Napoleon Hill wrote a book, Think and Grow Rich. And it wasn't about making money. It was about growing rich in your life in all ways. And he said there are two success principles, discipline and perseverance. So I wrote a book 20 years ago called Diets Don't Work. Diets don't work because you go on a diet like you go on a holiday. What happens when you go on a holiday? You come back. What happens when you go on a diet? You stop. What you have to do is develop lifelong habits that stay with you forever, like my exercise bike, which is just sitting just over my shoulder here. So like the exercise bike, like eating good food. And look, there's nothing wrong with having a bit of pleasure. I have a thing called the cheesecake rule. I love cheesecake. Love the, uh, just really enjoy it. So I might have a piece of cheesecake every three months, and when I do, I enjoy every bite. But I don't Not do every it all three the time. Days. No, Not every no, three no, weeks. no, 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 but every no, 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 every three months, and I enjoy every bite when I do it. But that's it. That's just a little treat I might have every few months. So it's okay to have the occasional treat and enjoy that. But most of the time, you've got to be disciplined. And the people who practice discipline and perseverance are easily the most successful people on the planet.
and that's why you've written seven books uh, yeah. or more that we all need to get hold of and, and research this a little bit more and I guess ingrain it all in our minds because until this conversation I really did have that picture of the overweight, over 50-year-old bloke out there having a round of golf and, and having the heart attack, you know, the dramatic mm. kind of um, keeling over and, and that's the end of the story. But that is, you know, it's a small number of heart that's attack victims in our country. Small number and there are, I have so many women in my practice who certainly don't fit that stereotype. They're, firstly, they're female, uh, they're thin, they do all the right things, but there are so many other ways that heart disease can pre present. So, for example, there's a thing called spontaneous coronary artery dissection, which typically occurs in young women around in their reproductive years around the time of pregnancy or, or certainly around certain, sometimes related to menstruation as well. And what they do is just split open the inner lining of their, their coronary arteries with no fat in the arteries. And and, and this, is, this has only been receiving any sort of uh, a publicity over the last five years or so, but it's a, it's a relatively common condition as one cause. There's another thing called Takotsubo's cardiomyopathy, which occurs in about 80% uh, women, 20% men, and it is the broken heart syndrome. And, and so if you go through an incredible emotional trauma, you can get such severe constriction in your coronary arteries, even though you don't have fat in the arteries, they go into constriction, you go into acute heart failure, and it looks like you're having a heart attack. When, when, and this Takotsubo is, a, again, a well-described phenomenon that occurs more commonly in women. Coronary artery spasm is more common in women than it is in men. So your coronary arteries might look good, but they just go into spasm like that. A, a very similar thing to migraine, which is a dilation or opening up of blood vessels outside the skull, constriction of blood vessels going into the skull, so people get all the weird symptoms with migraine. And there's a bit of an association between getting migraines and coronary spasm. And, and again, these things are often ignored by the medical profession and shouldn't be. It's tough because you don't want to be a scaremonger. You don't want to be walking no. into your GP going, okay, I've, I've listened to this podcast and now I need to be doing all of these things because most GPs will go, hang on a second, you mm. are in your mid-40s, you look mm. pretty good, don't worry about it. How, how hard can you push um, for certain tests or how hard should you push for certain tests or do you come with a list of things saying, look, I do have a family history, I would like to know yep. more um, or are you just allowed to, you know, I mean, I know you just can't see a specialist without mm. um, no, a can't. referral but if, referral. if you just want to know, I don't think there's anything wrong with just wanting to know. No. Well, I think you made the point and this is the, the really key thing is that where are you at the moment? So there are three categories, really. There are people, what we call secondary prevention. So someone who's already had a heart attack, a stent or a bypass, man or woman, needs to have a regular assessment with a cardiologist. It might be every couple of years, but they still shouldn't just have that heart attack and never see someone again. But that that's pretty obvious because the, high, the people at the highest risk for heart disease are people who've already had heart disease. Mm -hmm. The next is what we call, you're in this category now, Shelley, I'm sorry, but people who have strong risk factors for heart disease. And there are five key ones. High blood pressure is number one. Cholesterol abnormalities. So just because your cholesterol is high doesn't mean it's abnormal, mm -hmm. but something wrong with your cholesterol. Current or prior cigarette smokers. And here's the big thing, pre-diabetics or diabetics, because now 70% of heart disease is due to a thing called insulin resistance, which is tendency to diabetes, blood pressure, high triglyceride, low HDL, fat around the belly, and then cardiovascular disease, fatty liver, gout, obesity-related cancers. So that's number four. And then in your case, a family history of heart disease. So when you've got a family history, especially in people who've had heart disease below the age of 65, that's when you need to start having checkups even at your young age. So it's important to to start thinking about that then. So the first thing you do is you go and have the full blood profile with your GP. And then uh, again, I, if someone's got a family, just say you said your dad had his heart disease first when? When was that? Uh, he would have had his first one <laughs> at probably 60, I'd say. And then yeah. he had a stent about two years ago. So right. mid-70s. Yeah, okay. So I think so he's doing he's doing pretty good, having had numerous other things, uh, prostate cancer or whatever else. He's, he's a survivor. He is a just-do-it kind of guy. He's out there on his kayak every day. He's he's a fit guy. But I think he, uh, he assumed he would probably die in his late 40s because that's what happened to his dad. So anything from that day on has been a blessing and he, and he has sort of looked after himself. 
I'm very concerned about his lipoprotein, little a, and yours. Mm -hmm. And so when you reach 45, you should probably have the coronary calcium score. So the coronary calcium score, this is a, a machine, a test that you actually invented for, for one oh, of no, the no, scientific no. I, I no? no, I didn't invent it. I introduced it into Australia introduced in it, conjunction right. with the Sydney, Sydney Adventist Hospital and Dr. David Grout, another one of my cardiologic colleagues. And we travelled the world. I went to America, Japan, Germany, looking at all the best machines back then. And then in 1999, we introduced it into Sydney. And we and and so this is a totally painless, no dye, no injections, low radiation test that takes a snapshot of your arteries and measures how much coronary calcium you have, which is a marker for fat. So I'm not particularly concerned about the calcium itself because it just tells me there's a lot of fat. So if you've got a zero score, low level fat, if you've got a score above 400, that's what I call don't read Tolstoy. So that's when you you need pretty aggressive management of your cholesterol. But any score above 100, just just say at your age, 47, you came in and your calcium score was about 70 or 80, that's already a significant score for such a young woman. Mm -hmm. And I'd start pretty aggressive management and monitor you very carefully. But if your calcium score was zero, I'd say come back in five years, we'll do another test. But right. there is a, another test called a CT angiogram, which is done on the same technology, but it involves a dye, gives you beautiful pictures of the coronary arteries, but doesn't give you any more prediction over the calcium score. But what it does do is make you glow in the dark for three days afterwards because of the radiation. It also makes your wallet $500 lighter because not, neither of these tests are covered by Medicare. So the calcium score, I think, is around $200. I don't know because I'm not involved in the, the payment. But the, the CT angiogram can be anything from $800 to $1,000. And also you get an intravenous dye with, with iodine in it. You can have a reaction to that. Uh, it can also damage your kidneys. So there's a whole lot of things I don't like about the CT angiogram um, unless somebody has significant symptoms and I don't think they need a full-blown angiogram mm. where they're going through the wrist or the groin, which is a bigger deal. Yeah, it sounds pretty damn scary if you ask me. Yeah, well, it's, look, the CT angiogram is still a good test, but the better test, the simpler test, is just have the coronary calcium score and, and, the, blood, and the blood test. And we take it from there. Yeah. And, and as I said, I can, I can pick up and prevent almost everyone's problems. From that, and then, of course, as you say, if it, if it was in need of some significant uh, treatment, that may result in, as you say, cholesterol pills, mm. uh, medications, whatever it is. But if you're following those five keys and getting the things that you need, hopefully you can reduce mm. it in a much more sort of holistic way. Well, I, I'll give you another quick anecdote. I had a fellow who was came to see me when he was 60, had a coronary calcium score of 150 and a plaque volume, which is a measure of the fat, of 144. So I, I spoke to him about the five keys, of course. I gave him a statin drug to lower his cholesterol because his calcium score was above 100. I, I gave him all the evidence-based supplements that I use. And he rang me after three months. He said, Ross, I can't lift my arms from these statins. I'm not taking them. I'll do everything else. But unlike most people, he was diligent. Followed everything, never missed a day of the supplements, never missed a day of his exercise, was happy. He was a very good guy. And he came back five years later, age of 65, had another calcium score. The 150 had dropped to 126, but here's the key, the plaque volume, which is the fat, 144 to 43. So we'd, we'd taken two-thirds of the fat out of his arteries with no pharmaceutical drugs. Amazing. That's an and anecdote. he stuck to it. Yeah, he stuck yeah. to it, where most people don't. Are there any signs or symptoms? Obviously, diabetes is a huge sign. Yeah. Um, if you were just walking around normally, and we are through the course of the Ageing Project becoming a lot more aware and a lot more mm. in touch with what's going on in our bodies, we're sort of learning to listen to ourselves better. But what, I mean, the signs and symptoms are different than, as you say, just, just grabbing your chest and, and keeling yeah. over sideways or so, the, the pain in the arm. Look, and are women's symptoms different to men's symptoms? Absolutely. Firstly, can I make the point, I'm, I'm, even though I'm a member of the male union, um, ma males are very unidimensional. We get the holiday, the, so the Hollywood heart attack with a crushing central chest pain up to the throat and down the arms. And again, not all men get that. Uh, I saw a man yesterday who just get, had a couple of pains in his shoulder with his heart attack. So it's not always the same. But but women tend to get a ver variety of different symptoms. So unexplained shortness of breath. One of the big symptoms of coronary disease, which people ignore, is unbelievable tiredness. They were going along fine, and then oh gee, I'm exhausted. 
And, and look, you can be exhausted for other reasons. So you don't want to be running off to your doctor every time you feel exhausted. But I'm saying that can be a symptom of it. Weird pains anywhere from the tip of your nose to your belly button that you can't you can't explain by something. So you went down to your local Indian takeaway and had a very hot curry, had a bit of burning here afterwards, it's probably heartburn. But if you're noticing a niggle somewhere from the, the belly button up to the nose and down the arms, a niggle when you exert yourself or a niggle when you get upset, uh, and you just feel a little bit uncomfortable. It doesn't have to be what people think as pain. It just could, can be a niggle. So uh, unexplained dizziness, unexplained palpitations in your heart, all of these things may be something that can be reassured. So 80% of chest discomfort is due to musculoskeletal causes, 15% gastrointestinal, 5% cardiac, but it's the cardiac ones that cause a problem. And it's not your job to sort that out. That's what your doctor's supposed to be doing. So you never ignore symptoms. I, I heard, and this, this, was an, this, this is again third-hand information, I heard that Warney had chest discomfort before he went to Thailand and it was suggested to him that he went to a hospital to have a checkup, but he said, I'll do that when I get back. Mm. And, and so that's the thing. You don't ever ignore symptoms. All, almost all of my patients have had some chest discomfort, shortness of breath or something in the week or two before their heart attack. And I could tell you so right, many not stories. Not the hour or two before. No, no, like no, no. A yeah. long way out. Because, what, as I said, you've got the donut like this, the fat sitting there in the wall, not causing a blockage, and you poke the bear with some stress and it goes... <laughs> like that and it and you initially feel the rupture you go, oh gee what was that and, mm -hmm. and you might just ignore it mm -hmm. and then a few days later the pain comes back and it gets a bit worse and a bit different because the the clot's starting to build up inside the artery after mm -hmm. you've had the initial rupture so most people just ignore symptoms and they just do nothing about it every patient i see 40 years i ask them have you had did you have any warning before this mm -hmm. oh yeah had a bit of a niggle a couple of days before, but I thought it was just indigestion. Never ignore symptoms. Have you heard the news? Our sister platform, You Must Try It, now offers one-on-one -on -one health coaching via Zoom with our team of qualified experts. Our store exists to offer you more than our tried and tested products. We want you to age well, and at the foundation of that is your health. Let me share Lou's feedback, one of our recent customers. She wrote, I still can't believe how much we got through in an hour. I was offered the most detailed personal advice I've ever had. I've been talking to all my friends about their health coaching sessions and my experience. The friends that have already had their session couldn't be happier. Thank you, Lou. So if you're struggling with a health issue, perhaps a gut, a thyroid, weight, energy or sleep issue, or maybe like Lou, you just want to optimise your health, our You Must Try It team of qualified health coaches would love to help you. They can help with everything from blood, hormone and food sensitivity testing to practical strategies so you know what to do and buy that is actually going to work. Just go to youmusttryit.com and book your appointment and let's take action to age well, my friends. What do you think of, say, smartwatches that they tell you your heart rate, they tell you if your heart rate drops too low, they give you a little, oh, that was an odd, that was an irregularity. Should we have mm. any faith in devices? See this thing here, the yes, Apple sir. Watch. Yeah, I I was uh, I can get an ECG on this, mm -hmm. and I was on a plane from Sydney to Bangkok about a year a year ago, and halfway along they said, "Is there a doctor on the plane?" I don't know, put my hand up, and there was a man um, uh, in just a, f a few rows behind me, a guy in his eighties who was having some discomfort in his chest. So they're, they're, actually, they're not particularly badly stocked on planes. They have an emergency kit, a blood pressure machine. So I took my, my watch off my hand, put it on his, got an ECG done, and I could see what was going on in his heart. It wasn't a heart attack. I knew, and I, from the history I took from him, I knew it was uh, probably more an irregularity like the atrial fibrillation. It had settled down. He was getting a lot of ectopic beats on the, on the ECG. They, they had some medications there. I went into the cockpit, which you're not allowed to do these days, but this was an emergency because they thought, did we need to land the plane or could we go into Bangkok? And I said, I spoke to the Qantas doctor in Arizona and I told her what was going on. I told her what we should do. I gave the man a treatment. We had some beta blockers on the plane, gave the man a beta blocker. I said, you'll be better in 15 minutes. He swallowed the beta blocker. Once it was absorbed, it was better. We went on to Bangkok. So it was this thing, the Apple Watch, that really helped me 
be be confident that there was nothing serious with the man. So I think they're good, but again, a lot of people don't know how to interpret them. They get worried. Mm-hmm. You move your hand a bit, you get what we call artifact. So it's just electronic movement artifact, and people go, "Oh, I'm having this dreadful problem." And, and but the the there is an interpretation device as well. So I think the smartwatches are good. And again, even if you don't have the ECG facility, getting your steps up. And you, we don't need to do ten thousand steps a day. That's rubbish. Even 6,000 steps a day is enough to improve cardiovascular health. So the the important thing is move, 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 and have that three to five hours of exercise every week as well as movement. And if you can't keep yourself accountable for your own health, maybe something like that is good just to remind you, oi, it's time to stand up, oi, get moving, do something. All of the above. That's great. To finish, Dr. Ross, what what is the, I guess, the best and then the worst piece of advice you've heard regarding heart health? Okay, well, I I thought I'd tell you another anecdote. Um, I I had these two patients come to see me, lovely people, and uh, this fellow had had a stent in his arteries. They'd been to see a cardiologist, um, and another one before me, and they didn't like the opinion they were given. And the cardiologist said to them, you two should be vegan. And they looked at the cardiologist who was significantly overweight. And they said, look, we don't wish to be rude, doctor, but you're quite overweight. Are you vegan? The guy says, I couldn't be vegan. I give myself an injection once a fortnight that lowers my cholesterol. Now, giving that message to patients Mm. is the worst piece of advice I have ever heard. Mm. And and so the the worst piece of advice I can have is exactly what you you inferred before. Doctors spend so much time worrying about drugs and and procedures, don't spend the time on lifestyle. So that's the worst piece of advice. Mm-hmm. The best piece of advice I can give anyone is is firstly those five keys that is 80% of your management. If if you need medications, that's 10%, don't rely on them too much but don't not take them and and take high quality supplements and there's a, a whole list of high quality supplements that that's another hour's conversation that I think everyone should be taking from certain ages but when you come and have your heart check Shelley I'll tell you exactly what you should be taking. Well load me up and it is an interesting point isn't it you know supplements really are just supposed to be already in the food that we eat but due to the lifestyle that we live and the, and the way that farming is these days you just need a little top up and that's not a bad oh, thing. It's, it's even more than that. It's even more than that. You see, if we lived how we were supposed to live, the 30, 40 years wandering around a jungle with a spear, you don't need supplements. You just eat natural food, have a completely natural life. We live in such a a synthetic world where we're being bombarded with all sorts of stuff we're not supposed to be bombarded with, and we live double A use by date. So we do need extra help to keep us healthy. But as I said, they're called supplements. Supplements to what? Supplements to that healthy lifestyle. Supplements to those five keys. Dr. Ross, you've you've given your life to saving other people's lives. Mm. How much toll does that actually take on you personally when you say that your patients are the ones that uh, do follow your rules, that won't be returning as anything other than friends? But, I mean, I can imagine that it is is tough on your own heart to see Uh, people coming in in such a state. It is, but I did mention before the 80-year trial from Harvard University I have been with my wife now for 48 years. We've been married for 46 years this year. I worship the ground she walks on. And she gives me so much support and that, that it buffers that feeling. So I walk out of my practice every day and go, oh, I'm going home. And, mm-hmm. and it's a lovely feeling to be able to do that. And, yes, it, it, it does t- take a real toll. There's A lot of people are energy drainers, but a lot of my patients are just beautiful human beings who have become friends of mine. And, and so to see them do well, like my 90-year-old Jesuit priest is one of my best friends. He comes to our house for Christmas every year and I take him out once a month for lunch. But, but just to see the fact that he's still so sharp and he values our friendship and he knows that he is so well, well, part of the reason, because he does follow my advice. And so I, I think, yeah, yeah, it does have a toll. as a hu- I'm a human being and, and sometimes I go home absolutely exhausted after a very full day because I don't, typically don't get lunch. Um, but but I love my job. It's just, and people say to me, because uh, I'm in my 60s, people say to me, when are you retiring? And I go, I'll retire when somebody taps me on the shoulder and says, you're not doing it well anymore. So if I'm still giving people a good service when I'm 80, yeah, I might only be working a couple of days a week by then, I'll still keep doing it because I love doing it. And I want to teach young people how to practice integrative medicine. 
And there's, there's some wonderful institutions at the Australian College of Nutritional and Environmental Medicine that I have a strong association with. But, but we, we need to teach doctors that the best approach is not just focusing on orthodox medicine. It's the whole process that works, not just one thing. Awesome, Dr. Ross Walker. Where can our audience connect with you? If they want to hear more, um, of course, you are a prolific speaker around the country, a wonderful author. Where can they find you? Well, firstly, if I can give a shameless plug to my, uh, I'm on the Nine radio network. I'm on, so I have a national radio show every Sunday night that goes from seven to nine on the Eastern States, but it goes to every capital city uh, at seven to nine time slots. So in Perth, when daylight saving finishes, they're obviously two hours behind. Then Brisbane, Brisbane will link up with us. So listen, listen to Healthy Living. Uh, DrRossWalker.com is my website. Uh, I don't take any new patients. I'll make an exception for you, Shelley, uh, because <laughs> I was booked book, because I was booked ahead for twelve months. So I, but I've got plenty of people in my practice who follow who follow what I do. So, so it's really, really important to think about your not just your cardiovascular health. But all those five keys will reduce your risk for all diseases, not just cardiovascular disease. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. My absolute pleasure. Whoa, what an important topic and so many takeaways from preventative cardiologist Dr. Ross Walker. Here's a few for me that may remind you what we covered in our chat. By the time we reach 40, our bodies begin to change and this process accelerates after 50 when hormones start to decline. Everything, including your heart and arteries, tends to stiffen. So taking heart health prevention seriously matters. Get tested. And those two tests were lipoprotein little a blood test and coronary calcium score or CCS test. And let's remember those five keys of health. They were avoiding anything harmful. That includes skateboarding and roller skating girls. Quality sleep, nutrition, regular exercise and nurturing relationships. Dr. Walker told us those five keys have been shown in a major study to reduce your risk for cardiovascular disease by 83%. That is amazing. We need to tune into our bodies and recognise the signs, which we now know can be different for women. Shortness of breath, tiredness, dizziness, weird pains and niggles. Let's pay attention. Please forward on this episode or our website to spread the Ageing Project word. We want every woman in Australia and around the world to hear this potentially life-saving information. And don't forget to tag us on social media or email us at hello at theagingproject.com.au. If you've got something to share, we would love to share it with our community. We'd also love to see you getting your blood tests and just get moving. It all helps to inspire other women in our community. Until next time, I'm Shelley Craft, and you, my friend, are in the right place for the very best advice and support on your Ageing Well journey. We'll talk again next week. As always, the Ageing Project podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes. Always seek medical advice from a qualified practitioner.